Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Laura Jackson and welcome to Secrets of the Side Hustle, the podcast from the Sunday Times style that's all about phenomenal female founders. Well, here we are, the last episode of the series and what a series it's been. We've spoken to women from industries such as beauty, tech, and even an online sex toys boutique. I've loved hearing from all of these inspirational female founders and remember all of the episodes from this series and previous ones are available for you to listen back to. But first we've got an absolute treat in store for you. We've managed to bag Rosh Matani founder of Alighieri Jewelry to tell us all about her entrepreneur journey. Originally from Zambia, she moved to London as a child and for the past few years has been taking the jewelry world by storm, even winning the prestigious Queen Elizabeth II Award for British Design. So you know she's got the goods. I could go on and on about what a fan I am of Roche's, but I'll let you hear from her instead. This is Secrets of the Side Hustle with Alighieri's Roche Matani. Hi, Laura. Oh my God, I'm really so excited to have you on the podcast. You know that I'm a huge fan of your work. So thank you for being our final guest on the podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. Like, honestly, this is such um, an honor and so exciting to talk to you in oh. real, well, almost in real life because I, I feel know. Like been almost like a pen pal this whole time. Me too. And it's really nice to kind of put, obviously I know what you look like, but kind of seeing you on Zoom in real life is really, it's really lovely. So for people that haven't followed your journey or don't know about your brand, what kind of business is Alighieri? So Alighieri is a jewellery brand um, and I started the brand seven years ago and we create modern heirlooms that are inspired by the poet Dante Alighieri, who was a poet writing in the 1300s in Italy which might seem like a very obscure reference, but ultimately he you know, was a man lost in a dark wood. And I studied French and Italian at university and really wanted to create a jewelry brand that was rooted in literature and history um, and create you know, modern heirlooms that had, well, each piece had a story um, and was then a, a vehicle, a little a vessel for someone to carry it forward in, on their adventures and fill with their own stories and experiences. That's such an interesting reference point. How how did you turn a poem and this story into a piece of jewellery? <laughs> well, after I graduated, I felt like I was lost and I kept going back to this text and reading it. And it was almost like a kind of 
a safety blanket for me, something that felt comfortable. I just couldn't help but imagine these kind of mythical creatures that he was describing and scraggy landscapes as pieces of fractured kind of jewels kind of worn around the neck or, you know, crawling their way up your fingers. And I did a one day, you know, course in wax carving in Hatton Garden and fell in love with, with the wax and the medium. And as soon as I was playing with the wax, these shapes started to appear. And they were—they immediately reminded me of something out of Dante's Divine Comedy. And it all just clicked for me at that moment. Is there a particular sentence or piece of text that you kind of really use at the heart of the brand? Yeah, there's, it's the, for me, there are lots of, there are lots of phrases that I am, um, that I'm, you know, really enthralled by, but there is one phrase that is the opening of the text and it's kind of, the beginning of everything for me, whenever I start designing a new collection, whenever I feel, you know, lost in my life, um, whenever I, you know, as the brand grows, it's sort of my North Star and it's the opening of the Divine Comedy, the first few lines. And I think it says everything about why I love this poem. Shall I read it for you? Yes, please. I'd love to. I'd love <laughs> to. It's the first three lines of um, the Divine Comedy. In the middle of the journey of my life, I found myself in a dark wood where the right way was unknown to me. Wow, that's amazing. That sounds like someone could have written that this morning. <laughs> Literally. And Laura, you kind of hit the nail on the head, which is that even though this text was written, you know, over 700 years ago, you read that phrase and you feel like it is still so pertinent to, it's so universal. We mm. all know that feeling of waking up in a dark wood and being like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I feel lost. I don't know the right way. I think I wanted to base the whole brand on that because I wanted to remind firstly myself that it's okay to feel like that. And I thought if I said that out loud and I acknowledged that I didn't know what I was doing and that I did feel lost, that maybe other people would feel, would feel that it was okay to, to tell their story. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, it's something that will resonate, especially after the last 15, 16 months with all of us. And it's kind of quite inspiring how at that point in your life, you managed to take that en negative energy or, you know, that kind of darkness that you were feeling and turn it into light and turn it into this really incredible brand. Because now you've got something really positive and really tangible to, to, to show for it. I think, I think it's, I think it'd be a really, a really inspiring story for lots of budding entrepreneurs. And I mean, you started off with just 10 rings as well that you were just selling <laughs> to your colleagues. Yeah. Well, no, thank you firstly so much for saying that because it means a lot. And you know, what I love about this brand is that it's allowed me to, you know, create and meet the most amazing community of, of people who share their stories with us. It's pretty incredible. And, you know, yeah, it all started with um, I made this little crustacean and it reminded me of the um, it kind of was a, was a metaphor for the fifth poem in Dante's Divine Comedy in Inferno, where he meets these two lovers, Paolo and Francesca. And their sin on earth was um, that they were they had committed adultery. Their punishment in hell is that they are forever trapped in this infernal storm intertwined within each other. And I loved that idea of, you know, romance and pain all kind of <laughs> swept into the same breath. And that was one of the first pieces I made. And I made 10 of them and took them into the office and everyone bought a ring. And it 
it was kind of the beginning of, you know, these amazing women just cheering me on and saying, you should, you should do this. Why don't you make more? And it's funny, everyone, everyone still has, has that ring. And actually they're all still some of my best friends to this day. And they've all kind of helped me so much in my career along the way, as we kind of moved on to our subsequent jobs and have grown older now. And, you know, some of us have children, I don't, but some of them have children and it's kind of amazing to all kind of grow up together and build each other up as we go. But that crustacean was almost the beginning of the journey. And do you think that those women really empowered you to um, follow your passion and your gut? Absolutely. I could not have done it without, you know, without those people in my life saying, why don't you do this? You can totally do this. You heard Roche mention a wax carving course earlier on. It's how she first learned to make what would go on to become her unique jewellery designs. I asked her to tell me a little bit more about that. But first, she explained the wax setting process. What happens is you have the wax and um, you create a mould of it. So you then put that in a container and fill that container with an investment. The investment then dries and you heat it so all the wax melts out. And so what you essentially have is then a cavity of the shape of the wax. And you can then fill that with um, any metal, you know, silver, bronze, gold. So that's essentially how jewelry was traditionally made. And, you know, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, they used to do that with, with sand. So the pressure of the sand, because they obviously didn't have the technology to use an investment, you'd put it in the ground and create a sand block. So the pressure of the sand would then create that gap and then you'd cut it open. So that was that was your mold. It's like mold making essentially. It's actually quite funny. I did, the, the course I did was a one day course. And- um, How much was I, the course? I think it must've been about 120 pounds. I mean- But the funny part is that the, the aim of the course was to make a ring. And, um, you know, we got the brief and it was, you know, the first thing you have to do is draw out your ring decide what you want it to be, measure it, measure the wax. It was very technical and precise. And that is everything that I am terrible at. Um, I am not good at precision. I know you're an amazing chef. I am terrible because I cannot, I'm so bad at following instructions. I, I actually hated, I hated that course because it, again, it made me just feel like I wasn't good enough. And I left, I left halfway through. I went for a coffee at lunch and I didn't go back. Which no. Really naughty. I didn't go back. I went to this cafe called Proof Rock on Leather Lane, which is now around the corner from my now studio. And um, I got a cup of coffee and they had these cups of coffee and it had this little rabbit stamp on it. And I don't know, I remember looking at this rabbit and I was like, I feel like this is just a really iconic moment for me. I don't know why. And I went around the corner to the shop and I bought some wax. Um, I had probably spent around 20 pounds on, on some wax and some a couple of tools and took it home and just started playing. And there were all these rules in the class that you know you have to saw the wax straight like this and you have to go slowly. And there were lots of techniques, which I mean, obviously are incredible, but I just wanted to play. And I took the wax home and I just started playing, you know, hovering it over, over the heat of the hob and just seeing what would happen. And that freedom of like not playing by the rules, not knowing the rules and not having anyone over my shoulders to sort of say, that's not right. That's not good enough. You need to do it like this. 
it was that that I fell in love with, that freedom of just being, of just being yeah. almost childlike again. You mean you describe your pieces as modern heirlooms. Why, why is that? So many reasons. I, I always, um, you know, I was always fascinated with jewellery ever since I was a child because every piece of jewellery I ever came in contact with always had a story. Uh, you know, I'd look at through my mum's jewellery box and she'd say, you know, your grandparents, when they left India, this was the only piece. This was all they had. They didn't have anything else. Um, you know, this they left with this and the clothes on their back, basically. And so jewellery, I always I always thought of jewellery as being, you know, it, it always been an heirloom to me, something that you pass down through generations and not just the jewellery, the story that came with it. And so when I started the brand, I... I felt really strongly that I wanted to create pieces that had that meaning that could travel with you through generations that weren't trend driven, but that felt like they had really been born out of a story and that you could kind of adopt into your own life. Something we are always keen to find out is how our entrepreneurs manage the juggle of full-time work with their side hustle. Here's how Roche made it work. So I would work during the day and then I'd run home at night and I would just make by, at night. Um, I'd have my candle, I'd have a glass of wine and I would just make all night. And my mum would come down at the morning and see these kind of creatures, some of them looking quite demonic. And she'd be like, oh God, are you not in a good place in your life? <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I mean, it was it was really hard work, but... I, I just had this fire to, to do it. It was just a longing. And, and actually, you know, the time, at being, the time being a merchandiser was almost easier because I had that structure during the day and then I knew at nighttime that was my time to make. When it became harder to juggle, I think, was when I decided to, to leave my job so that I'd have more time, more time for, for Alighieri. And I started um, an au pair job with two Italian children who were just incredible. And so I would sort of do Alighieri stuff in the morning and then go pick them up from school in the afternoons with their snacks and then be with them and do their homework with them and have dinner with them and then kind of go back to it. And as the brand started to grow a little bit, um, I'd be getting, you know, press requests in the morning and the kind of uncertainty of what was going to happen and what I would need to do during the day then became quite difficult to juggle but amazing because actually um the two children that I was preparing for who were so smart and brilliant and they were 10 and 8 at the time and we'd be on the bus and I'd get an email from you know from Vogue saying we've got a call in and I'd be like guys this is so exciting we've got a call in and the little boy said to me actually Rosh can you explain to me do you pay for your things to be in a magazine and I said well no um she said, he said so how does it work they just ask you to they just ask you for these things and then they put them in the magazine and I was like yeah sometimes if they like it they ask you to borrow it and then they photograph it and he was like but then what happens like does that does that mean people then buy it like in what way does it help you for your things to be in this magazine and it was just amazing to have this incredible super intelligent 10 year old, um, you know, asked me questions like this and actually really kind of took me back to, you know, okay, what's the purpose of everything we're doing? So he was almost my, my business consultant at the time. Oh, I love that. I love that. He both said, what, what is this opportunity bringing us as a brand? I'm like, question, Carlo. <laughs> that is amazing. I mean, when did you decide then to stop pairing? Because there had to be a point 
uh, when you were like, mm-hmm. I just need to, co- I just need to concentrate on the brand full time. Yeah, I think it was a year and a half in and when our e-com started to grow um, a little bit and we were getting enough orders to, you know, cover a few of our, most of our overheads, that's when I thought, okay, it's time for me to, to dedicate myself full time. That's when, when I kind of took, took the plunge. You can find all the latest news and advice for founders starting and growing their businesses at the Times Enterprise Network. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash business forward slash enterprise dash network, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today, Alighieri is a hugely recognizable brand. So here are some tips from Roche for those of you wondering how you can create your own standout branding. I knew how I wanted it to look. I think that's one thing I felt always very strongly about. I knew that I wanted the brand to have a really crisp kind of modern feel to it to contrast the kind of ancient relic-like aspect of the actual pieces. So, I mean, I was just playing in a very naive way. Um, and I think that naivety was probably what, what allowed me to just do it because I didn't know any of the rules. Um, so, yeah, set up a, a Shopify store and, um, you know, worked actually credit to a really good friend of mine called Valentin. He was an ex-colleague at, at um, the old, my old job when I was a visual merchandiser. And he actually helped me put the logo together and we found this font and we were like, what if there was this kind of medieval like cross as part of it? Because that kind of speaks to Dante. And it was friends, you know, it was friends just playing together um and I think what I did know is when we when it looked a certain way I was like okay that's I know it want I know I want it to look like that so that's what I had I think on my side because you were first selling of course just direct to to customer um mm. before you went on to kind of what they call wholesaling and now you're stocked in some really 
amazing shops like you know Netta Porter, Matches, Selfridges, many many more. What was that transition, and 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 did you kind of have to employ somebody to to help you do that? I always felt um, I was lucky because my first, one of my first jobs was as a visual merchandiser for a company um, called Avenue 32. So I learned, you know, what that model looked like. I learned um, how wholesaling worked. So I always had my target list of stockists, places that I really wanted to be. Um, and I would just approach them. Lots of cold calling, um, lots of, lots of, you know, not no replies to emails. And it took a really long time. So I thought, you know, let's start the, the online store because that's, an immediate way to, to sell the pieces. And I was, you know, really lucky that two years in, after lots of emailing matches, were the, were the first stockists to really take a big chance on me. And um, they placed their initial order, I still remember, for 48 units. I stuck the order on my wall and it was the biggest order I'd ever received. And I made that. And then, you know, within a month, they'd sold out of those pieces and they placed another order for just under 500 units. And I could not believe that. And that was sort of the beginning of it. And, you know, then other people, other stores that saw it on matches and um, decided also to give it a chance. And we also, you know, managed to get, gain great exposure through through the platform. So lots of people would then come back to our website. So in tandem to kind of growing this wholesale network, our own direct to consumer began to grow as well. So kind of all um, developed in that very organic way, but uh, there were only two of us for, for a long time. So myself and my amazing, amazing intern, and that was super full on. How many is there of you now? There are 25 of us now. No. Yeah, it's a little nuts. That is crazy. Do you have any? Do you have any tips actually for? Obviously, when you go from doing everything yourself, you feel kind of in control and across all mm-hmm. aspects of your business. Yeah. How do you then kind of let go of something that is essentially your baby? Yeah, it's such a good question, Laura. I will hold my hands up and say that I that is not my forte. I feel this brand so personally. It's born out of you know, my emotions. So every piece, it sounds really cliche, but genuinely I look at some of the pieces and I'm like, I could tell you how I felt in that moment of like what that whole meant in the piece and what that represented and what I was going through. And so it, you know, it was really hard actually to, to let go. And even as the team was growing, I still wanted to be part of every single conversation and aspect of it I still wanted to write every single handwritten note that went out with each order because we still do that and um and it took me a while to sort of let go and it was you know credit to just the amazing people on my team who were like they never pushed me to go to let go any faster than than I needed than I than I felt able to so they were like of course you can still be part of it but just just so you know like we're here so if you did want to focus on something else that's okay we've got this and I think it's having the right people around you that makes you then feel able to to let go. Inclusion, unity and sustainability are all central to the core of Alighieri. I asked Ross to tell me more about this aspect and whether she thinks a mission like this should be core to more businesses. Absolutely. I mean, the world doesn't need more stuff, I think. We just talk about, you know, our kind of ethos of I think that the best way to be sustainable is to 
love the things that you own because it means you will take care of them and you will then pass them down. And that's the best you can do. I think it's unrealistic to say, you know, we're never going to buy anything ever again. I think that, you know, owning things and adopting objects into your life is, you know, a big part of what we do as human beings. And I really believe that, you know, if you know where something is made, you know, whenever I look at a piece, I know that that's come from, you know, our casters, but there are people uh, on every step of the journey. So a person had a hand in making that. And then, you know, we pack it and we write the handwritten note that goes along with it. And then it reaches, you know, the customer and they tell us what that piece means to them and what they're going through in their lives. And they then pass that on. And we have these amazing stories of people doing that with the pieces. And I think it is really important to, you know, to have meaning in all of the objects that we own um, for so many reasons, firstly from a sustainability level, but also for our own, for our own kind of emotional well-being. Mm. I mean, how how do you approach sustainability and kind of an ethical jewelry making process? I feel like sustainability is a word that's mm. used so often at the moment yeah. and should be at the core of every brand. But how how do you embed it in in your brand? I think back to you know living in in Africa, for instance, you knew where your milk came from because you got it from the person around the corner who had the farm. And if you wanted to, you know, buy bottled drinks, you took the bottles back to refill them because that was just where the next round of bottles came from. And it wasn't this sort of, it was just common sense, actually. It was like, these are our finite amount of resources. So we use them and we know where they come from. So when I was building Allegheria, it didn't feel like something that we had to sort of integrate into the brand. It just felt so normal to think, well, where is it coming from? So, you know, we use recycled metals in everything that we do. And our casters are around the corner from the studio. So we have this kind of walkable supply chain and we pick up the pieces we QC them we bring them back and then we assemble them in the studio and then you know we pack them there every product has a life cycle and we then send it out to to its owner and they you know tell us their stories and in return and it just all feels part part of a, a cycle that um doesn't feel like an added kind of facet to the brand it's actually at the core of what our brand is about which is telling stories talking about I mean price point and things like that how do you decide how much an item costs it's such a good question because you know obviously uh, there's lots of jewelry out there that you know is made at a lower price point and it's easy to do that and to make you know a really great profit but it make it always made me sad because jewelry should never be a throwaway object it should always be something that you keep um because it's been like that across so many cultures since the beginning of time. So for me, it's kind of a no-brainer if, you know, this is how much it costs to make it responsibly. This is how much it costs to put it together um, in a way that, you know, that maintains like excellent quality. And if that's what it costs, then you price up accordingly. So there are no sort of, you know, hidden costs in that. There are no inflated margins. It just, you know, it is more expensive to produce locally with recycled metals to have transparent supply chain. But I think it's it's so important. Um, and then you build up from there, you know, what do you need to cover your overheads and you build that in. So that's kind of how, how I did it, just in a really kind of honest and practical way. Like all of the founders we've featured on this show, Roche has made use of social media platforms to help grow her brand. 
but more than just straight advertising, she's able to use it to connect with customers on a more personal level. I think we've been so lucky as a brand to have social media at our disposal, because if you think back to, you know, 10 or even 20 years ago, you would have needed such a big marketing budget to get your brand out there. In that way, I think the industry was very elitist and social media has kind of democratized it and made it possible for someone like me, for instance, to create my brand and put it out there into the world. And if people resonate with it, they can follow it. And you don't need a budget to do that. So I think that's one way in which, you know, it has been super important. And the second way is the dialogue element to it. Um, Alighieri has always been about, you know, telling stories and listening to people's stories. And Instagram really facilitates that. Um, You can put something out there into the world and tell the story of it. And someone replies to say, oh, I'm actually going through this. You know, I take our kind of lion medallion as a key example, which, um, Laura, you were one of the first people to to own a lion medallion. Um, And it's a medallion that we created, that I created, I was just me at the time, that is inspired by this moment in the Divine Comedy where Dante's in the dark wood and he is confronted by this lion. And the lion is described as so terrifying that even the air around him is trembling with fear. And he turns on his heel and he says, I can't do this journey. I'm not brave enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm a nobody, essentially. And that's when his guide, Virgil, um, appears and says, Dante, what are you doing? Like, get it together. You, This journey is yours to take. Like, I'll be with you. Let's go together. And I made this line medallion as a reminder to myself to, to be courageous in those difficult moments. And I put that line medallion out into the world. And... Instagram was, you know, the initial port of call where I told that story and people would would respond and say, you know, my my mum is going through chemo and I really want to buy her the line medallion um, to give her strength and courage on on this journey. And stories of, you know, this amazing customer who said she bought a line medallion from us. And the next day she DM'd me to say, so my best friend got dumped yesterday and I felt like she needed courage more than me. So I took off my lion and I gave it to her, but is it possible for me to get another one? And, you know, it was that kind of ability to have that dialogue with people through imagery, um, through objects that Instagram really facilitated, um, which we were really lucky to have. I think of Alighieri as a business um, that is, its core mission is to make people feel less alone. I started the brand because I wanted to feel less alone. And through these pieces, hopefully we make our consumers feel less alone. So everything we do on Instagram or on any channel really needs to go back to that. And during COVID we did, you know, we put this um, open call out there for friends of the brand to write a love letter um, to, to anyone out there, to themselves, to write anything that made them feel less alone during this insane, what was, you know, absolutely insane time. And what was wonderful is that we got these amazing pack, this amazing pack of of letters um, and quotes that we could share on Instagram. But what I loved even more than that was that everyone who wrote something kind of emailed or let us know that um, they felt so grateful to have that moment to reflect. I think people really, resonated with everything that you were doing I mean they obviously did because your sales increased by 200% during lockdown Um, (laughs) what I mean what do you think the biggest lesson that you've learned in business 
over the last year is? <laughs> that is a big question. Yeah, um, the biggest lesson, wow, so many lessons. I mean, I think to take a step back and, and to breathe, and I think it kind of, re- the last year really reinforced um, things that, you know, we always felt very strongly about in, in, in the, with the brand. Like, you know, as soon as our sales started to increase, we, like, I felt a moral kind of obligation. Well, firstly, I felt guilty. because so I was like, well, you know, it's not fair. So many people have lost their jobs. Um, so many people are struggling and, you know, we are seeing this increase in sales and I wish I could be doing something more useful with my life. I wish I could be making ventilators or, you know, making protective gear. And so immediately, as soon as that happened, I had sort of been reading about the Trussell Trust, um, which is um, a charity that works with food banks. And so we decided immediately, as soon as that kind of peak was happening to, um, to start donating 20% of all of our sales to the Trussell Trust. And I think that time just really kind of reinforce the fact that you know yes we are running a business but it went back to the manifesto of you know our job is to use this brand to make people feel less alone I mean you've got a lot of big fans of the brand me included but um most notably and recently Michaela Cole wore a beautiful necklace to accept her BAFTA with um that must have been a really exciting moment for you it was absolutely insane. Um, I had no idea because, I mean, people often borrow things for events, but you never quite know what they're going to choose. And I saw it um, on Instagram and it was a Sunday afternoon and I just could not believe it. I mean, I think I May Destroy You is just one of the most incredible pieces of work that just made me so emotional. And I just think she's the epitome of, you know, bravery and um strength and humor and just it was it was a real milestone moment um and I could not believe it I could honestly talk on and on to Rosh about her business this podcast will be about six hours long if I had my way but all good things must come to an end before it does though it's time for our final throw forward of the season here's what Evermore London founder Sarah Bell wanted to know my question is, what challenges have you found uh, with practicing sustainability within your business? The biggest challenge is explaining to the customer why our medallion is slightly more than another medallion that you might see out there on the market. Because whilst I think there's a huge appetite for sustainable products and people, it's definitely really important to more and more people I think there's still a bit of a gap um, in consumer behavior because I don't think people always understand the cost that is associated with it. And so we try really hard to you know, keep our products as accessible as possible. But I think, yeah, probably explaining to the customer why it costs a little bit more, but that it's worth it in the end. I think that's probably the biggest challenge. Okay, and Rosh, before you go, tell me in one sentence, what does the future look like for Allegheny? I am so excited for the future of Allegheny. It has to be one sentence. Yes. Okay. There are so many more stories that we are going to be telling at Allegheny. In the immediate future, we are opening a new showroom and studio in London where we will be able to welcome clients and um, invite them into our universe. So that was very exciting. Oh, thank you so much. I feel like I've got like still so many questions, but thank you so much. That was just amazing. Thank you so much.
It was an absolute joy to speak with Roche. If you want to buy one of her gorgeous modern heirlooms, we've put the website link aligiri.com in the episode description. You'll also find their Instagram details there too. Now, I can't believe it's the end of the series. I've absolutely loved speaking to and learning from all of our incredible female founders. And I hope you guys have too. You can listen back to all episodes, which are packed full of loads of helpful tips and advice for any budding entrepreneurs out there, no matter what business you want to start. That's it from me. I've been Laura Jackson and you've been listening to Secrets of the Side Hustle. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.